This week's episode is sponsored by Adam and Eve. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off on just about any item. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free mystery gift. And to top it all off, they will even throw in free shipping on your entire order. So what you have to do is go to adamandeve.com and use our discount code SCHOLAR at checkout. S-C-H-O-L-A-R as your discount code at adamandeve.com. We hope you enjoy the stuff. Want to slide into our DMs? Find us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars, or at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta. And I'm Simone. And this week we're joined by Paul Joannides, PsyD, who is a training and supervising psychoanalyst. He's the author of, you might have heard of it, The Guide to Getting It On, which is an award-winning book on sex that is used in dozens of college sex education courses and has won praise in Rolling Stone, Playboy, and Oprah Magazine. Dr. Paul has been on the editorial boards of the Journal of Sexual Medicine and the American Journal of Sex sexuality education, and in 2014, he was presented with the Professional Standard of Excellence Award by the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Woo! That was a mouthful and a lot of amazing accomplishments. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you so much for having me. There's one thing you forgot. Uh Uh-oh. You forgot that that when I was giving the opening keynote for the Planned Parenthood CFLE Sex Educators Conference, it was picketed by the tea party. Ooh. Tell us more about that because Simone loves a good protest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from France. It's only fair. No, it, it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I apparently got on their radar. And, That's an uh, my, honor. My thought is if you're, a, if you're a sex educator and you're not on their radar, you're not doing something right. Totally agreed. And so that's how you and I met. So we, we had a past guest, uh, Dr. David Lay. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. About, about the myth of sex yeah, addiction. The myth of sex addiction. Um, and basically I had an educational YouTube video, or I have a series of them um, through my thing called Staying on Top. And what happened was one of mine on ethical free porn, which is pretty ironic, got taken down. And so I was all upset and posting about it. And um, Dr. David Lay connected me with Dr. Paul and was like, he has kind of mastered this and should be someone that you should chat with. So I would love to talk with you about YouTube and other community guidelines that really get in the way of us talking about sex. What's, uh, you, you want to talk about that right now? Oh, yes. Okay. Now, the, the good news is if you're trying to recruit for terrorists, I, I think you'd, you'd probably do better on YouTube um, in terms of working with the people at YouTube than you would uh, trying to do legitimate sex education. All, all it takes is one person to try to flag you. And that's basically someone either on the far left or the far right who disagrees with what you're saying. Um, so even some of the I people had, that uh, flag us are our quote-unquote peers or colleagues who don't like what we have to oh, say. Oh, yes. Yeah, pe- people on the far left are just as challenging as people on the far right. And um, it, it just takes one person to flag. And here I had, I, they took down um, one of my Bob Lama videos on kissing. Um, and it was, uh, it's being used in college sex education courses. They use it to start discussions in classrooms. 
That's why was, was it taken down? A, what were their what was their reasoning? They don't ever give you a reason. Oh. Yeah, and then if you want to appeal it, they only give you what is it, a hundred characters to appeal? You've got to be yeah, you've got to be very careful with the character count. You have to write it out ahead of time and, and just claim legitimacy and say, here's here's why this is legitimate. You know, this this thing is used in fifty college sex education courses. That's less than a tweet. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's really uh, frustrating. And what's amazing that the, the, one of the first videos I had taken, well, the other Bob Lama videos taken down was on differences in sex and porn versus sex in real life. That's a very important topic. We've heard that straight from the mouth of some of the world's most famous porn performers. Yeah, yeah. And and um, the the interesting thing about that is, is fortunately a lot of college instructors wrote in to, to YouTube and... Uh, because um, they were using it. They said, why would you take this down? This is ridiculous. Um, but, but the thing is, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's beyond belief. When, I, when that was taken down, I did a search on YouTube. Oh, you sent me some of these screenshots. It's crazy. And, and the things that get millions of views and that they leave up. Yeah, you can watch I mean, Tip Drill on YouTube. What is Tip Drill? That Nelly video. It's a very, very I'll have to look it up. sexual video. What are some other things that you found, Paul? Oh, they were, um, I, I wouldn't even want to say them on air. I mean, they were just disgusting. Um, uh, I mean, some of the, there were tame ones showing anal bleaching and things like that. Um, but there were other ones about, uh, you know, incest, having sex with your daughter, um, a lot of shots of, of very, very, very explicit shots of genitals. I mean, it was, uh, again, I have no problem with porn. But if you're going to be taking things down, why take down legitimate sex education and leave the other stuff up? I don't get it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there, were do- there, there are dozens. Every guy with an eight-inch penis uh, in the country apparently now does a YouTube video of himself putting on a condom. Um, <laughs> You know, what's strange is I, I looked at all those and there wasn't one guy with an average-sized penis who's done a video of himself putting on a condom. But that one would be flagged. You, yeah, you, 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 yeah, it would be flagged for norm, normalcy. Um, but YouTube does not take those down. They only seem to go after people who are legitimate sex educators. And I've, I've heard this from a couple of uh, colleagues. What do you think this says okay. about our culture? Um. It's a fascinating culture. Um, we're not allowed to do porn education because you're going to offend somebody, especially someone on the left who feels that porn actresses are the, are the ultimate new sex educators. And um, it, it, it's really, I, I don't know what to say. It's, Wait, I noticed a little bit of frustration struggled. there. So you think porn performers are not, should not be sex educators? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what is sex education? about porn that basically shows whatever a hard penis wants, a hard penis gets. Have you ever heard communication in, in, on Pornhub? Do you, I mean, do you really think that women are instantly ready to have an eight-inch penis shoved up their ass and up their vagina at the same time without even... 
I'm, not. I'm certainly not. <laughs> absolutely not. But that's why I actually think that porn performers are good at sex education because they can say, hey, what you think I'm just ready for, that actually takes a fuck ton of time and you need to hear it straight from my mouth because I need you to believe this. It's my responsibility yeah, well, not, almost not as a porn performer yeah. to talk about, to dispel the myths of pornography. And that's... not. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Not mi- not many of them are doing that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think there's I a just... there's a key few that's I think hopefully growing. Yeah, we've definitely the, had a lot of them on the podcast who do do that. The tough part might be that we don't have people who are watching with a questioning, insightful lens who are like looking to have those conversations and hear that. And so, if that's maybe a young person's only form of sex education, that's potentially where it becomes problematic. Is that what you mean? Well, first of all, you've got just about every middle school kid in the country watching Pornhub, okay? That's the reality. That's mm-hmm. how they learn about sex. Yeah. But you've got no one uh, saying to them, look, there's a big difference between what you're seeing there and what goes on in real right. relationships. And there should be. And I think that should have happened in school. I think It sex, should happen I in school, but edu- if you even say the word orgasm in, in high school, you get fired. It's crazy. It's very true. Uh, good luck saying masturbation, or good luck saying foreplay, or pleasure, or, or clitoris even. Or pleasure. The clitoris oh, is hardly even mentioned in most sex ed. It's all about fear and pregnancy and STI transmission and uh, erection and condom and penetration. There's no mention of clitoris almost because it's like, well, the clitoris doesn't give you a baby no, or exactly contract an STI, so irrelevant. Well, you see, there's there's absolutely no money for pleasure. The second you say money, there's no fun or pleasure. There's no funding, um, and so what we've what we've become is, in some ways, sex education has become the, the new Puritans, because all we talk about are the horrible things, the harm reduction things, the horrible things that can happen, um, and so it, it's it's an interesting issue. On the one hand, we've 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 become you know the masters of harm reduction, and then on the other Not hand, now we've well. got we've got the alt left who is instructing people on how many pronouns they have to use, and um, there's there's no room for just saying hey. Our job as sex educators is to help people feel more comfortable talking to each other about what feels good and what doesn't. Right, and proper pronouns can help that. But I also want to know, so what do you think sex education should look like in schools? What's your ideal version of that? Oh, I've, I've, I've given up on that. It's not going to happen. But, what's, but that's happen. why I'm asking for your idea. Like, what do you think it should look like? What, what would be um, helpful and well, satisfying both curiosity yeah. and also inclusive? Uh, y- like what you should... know, I'm, 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 I'm clearly not sure. I mean, I've tried with, with different videos. You know, I had a video on the clitoris that probably had about Three yeah. million views. I watched it. Um, I've had other videos that I thought were more, way more entertaining and, and interesting that only have ten thousand views. So who knows what happens on YouTube, right? Or, or what's going to be the magic thing? Um, but I think YouTube, given that it's now the source of all wisdom, it's where we've got to be as sex educators. So um, you think no longer so, relying on school curricula and instead remaining in the private sphere as a YouTuber. Yeah, in, in some states, some very few states, you can at least talk about body parts. But I don't even think they talk about the clitoris. Heaven help, uh, you know, heaven help a high school biology teacher who says this is a clitoris. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just don't think it's going to be any good. And, you know, uh, I, talked to, I talked to a guy about two years ago, and he really shocked me. He was from a very liberal area in San Diego. And he said when they tried to, you know, make the sex education there more relevant, in other words, you know, talk about pleasure, uh, talk about masturbation, talk about mm-hmm. some other things, talk about orgasms. He said, you would have thought it would be the conservative parents who went batshit crazy. He said, we got just as much flack from parents who, who should know better. Why do you think that is? Um, they don't want to deal with the reality of what their children are seeing and doing. Mm. And they don't, they, they, no matter how liberal they are, a lot of them are, you know, a lot of them still think you talk about pleasure, it means it's going to be infectious. And it's going to, it's going to give our kids uh, the, the uh, green light to go have sex. Mm. Well, you said something interesting earlier that you feel like there's no money in pleasure. Um, yet it oh, seems like... Oh, I know like- there's no money in pleasure. But it's also maybe this didn't come with money, but it seems like your book Guide to Getting It On got so much national and international praise. How were you able to make a book like this and have it be so read by many people? I don't think I could do it today. Um, when the when the first edition came out, uh, no publisher in the country would touch it. When was that? They said they said it will never sell. Because it wasn't enough like the joy of sex, and it also had a sense of humor, and it was irreverent. Mm. And they said, people, people don't want a how-to book like that. What year was this, um, Paul? Even if, this was in uh, 1994 to 1996. Interesting. And, um, and uh, I mean, even at the time, probably the most liberal press in the country was St. Martin's Press. And they said, uh, they, one of the editors there said, you know, I've just been to a conference in, in North Carolina, and I can assure you, not one copy of this book will ever sell in North Carolina. Well, guess what? It's used in a couple of colleges in North Carolina. One of them, Boom, it's required it. reading by all freshmen. <laughs> how did you get, how did Wait, you get it in there? you said required reading for all freshmen? At one of the colleges, yes. Um, That's incredible. Now, here's, this, here's what, so what I had to end up doing is I hawked everything I owned, which wasn't much at the time, but I started my own publishing company. And I published it myself. Good for you. And... And um, it was a full-time, it took a lot of work, a huge amount of work. But at the time, that was a time when there were still college newspapers. There were still alternative weeklies. College newspapers, what we would do is we would get, I, I got the list of, there were like 1,200 of them in the country. I send out a postcard. You want a refresh, you, you want a free review copy of this book. We get like six, seven hundred horny college reporters saying, "Please send it." <laughs> so yes. we send it. We send it, and then there would be full-page ads or full-page reviews that but you know, really just ads, like ads. <laughs> for you. It's incredible. And they show uh, they show you know the illustrations, and so and then I also had columns in all weeklies, but those don't exist anymore. College newspapers don't exist anymore. Um, I mean, they're PDFs, but come on, they're not really like real newspapers. And so the world has changed in that way tremendously. I don't know how I would start today if I were starting new. So how do I you, really don't. How do you continue plus, the work that you do now then, given that everything around well, pl- is so different? Say, plus, plus there's, there's another thing. You know, when I, when I published the first edition, um, I think I used the word porn maybe twice in the entire book. Um, 
back then, a phone was wired to the wall. Right. Um, there was no internet. Or, you know, there were Usenet groups. Um, okay. Now, nine editions later, I have four entire chapters on porn. Um, I've rewritten it from the perspective of someone who grew up watching Pornhub from the time they were in seventh or eighth, sixth, seventh or eighth grade. Um, because that's the new reality. Yeah. And communication has changed drastically. We didn't have texting back then. We didn't have sexting back then. Mm -hmm. So the book has had to evolve tremendously. And so I've, I've, I've tried to make it evolve with, with the reality. I, I want it to be just as fresh to someone today who's reading it when they're 18 or 19 as their parents did when they were 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it's used in a lot of college courses still. And fortunately, it's still got some brand power. But even then, it's difficult. So what, what I'm bizarrely doing, I've been working this past two months, I'm setting up a Pinterest site um, for the book. And I'm going to try to do sex education on Pinterest. Why? And um, Yeah, why Pinterest? Um, YouTube has no real engagement. YouTube, I'm sorry. Facebook has no real engagement. No one leaves Facebook. Um, Instagram, same thing. But um, Pinterest, I think, is way more interesting. And um, I, I just think it's got more potential to get people to the website, get more people familiar with the book, to get more people talking about what's talking, help, helpfully, hopefully talking to each other about what feels good, what doesn't, exploring their bodies. Now, here's a frightening, frightening thing. Um, two years ago when I was talking at a college in the South, the reporter calls me up, right? She says, well, she says, um, what do you think about masturbation? And I'm, it's I'm great. Thinking, <laughs> we love it. Big fans. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Um, I said, well, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts there? She said, well, uh, do you think it's okay for women to masturbate? And I suddenly, uh, I'm thinking, whoa, this is strange. I said, why would it be a problem for women to masturbate? She says, well, a lot of young women around here think that it's, it's nasty for women to masturbate. Oh, I, said, well, I mean, I'm not surprised. I said, what about men? And they said, well, they think guys are just going to do it anyway, but it's really not good for women. And so it suddenly Ugh. occurred to me, yeah, we've, we've, we've now spent $2 billion on abstinence-only sex education. Yep. I think it was pretty effective. In a sad oh. and pathetic way. So I called, I immediately checked with um, sex educators around in different parts of the country, especially liberal areas like Santa Barbara, who used my book. And I said, you know, I, I'm thinking this was just this nasty women masturbating thing is just from the South. And they said, oh, no, don't no. you believe that for a minute? No, it's not. We don't had you believe that for a minute? Yeah. What were you going to say, Simone? I was just going to mention Dr. Lori Mintz and Becoming Cliterate and how she teaches psychology at the University of Florida or something. And she does, uh, she uses eye clickers to take polls in her class. And also there's like startlingly low levels of like women masturbating. Even in yeah, Florida. Lori, Lori has said that this is, in, in all her years of teaching, you know, this is the most ill-informed young generation about sex that she's ever dealt with. Now you think, wow, these kids grew up with the most in explicit hardcore porn that's ever been seen in history. And yet 
you've got a sex educator like Lori Mintz saying this is the most uh, knowledge-challenged generation she's ever seen about what's normal about sex. So I'm really sensing from you, Dr. Paul, uh, a feeling that the abundance of porn has kind of fucked, no pun intended, has kind of kind of fucked a younger generation's perception of sex and ability to have good sex. I, Is that what you're I saying? I don't know if... You know, I don't know if it's the abundance of porn. I think it's the abundance of our not doing education in addition for people to porn. And saying, hey, you know, there's a difference between what you're jerking off to in porn and, and what you're going to be doing with a partner. Right. And that's the problem. We're not providing an alternative voice. People think, oh, well, you're anti porn. No, I'm not. I'm really not. If, you're if, just and, recognizing and, that there may be some unintended consequences of especially young porn consumption when there, yeah. when there isn't like real sex additional sex education to talk about it so that people know exactly. that it's just a fun here, fantasy life. Here, here's a story. You go see the Fast and Furious when you're 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, that's not how you get your You've got a frame of reference. You know that your mom and dad don't drive like that. But you don't know, you know that your mom that, and dad don't fuck like in porn. That's such a good point. Yeah, but, but here's the problem. You don't really know how your mom and dad fuck. You know how they drive. Yeah, unless right. you accidentally and, walk in or and, something. Yeah, and then you need years of therapy. Story of um, my life. Then, but, you, then you can send them to me or Dr. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, there's no frame of reference. There's a frame of reference for every other kind of entertainment we have except porn. Yeah. And so that's one of the real issues. When I was speaking at Santa Barbara, you see Santa Barbara. God, there must have been about 600 students there. And at the end, there's, there's a, a young couple. Students come up to me, and they said, thank you so very much. And I said, mm, thank you? What for? And well, she said, because it takes me more than five minutes to be ready to have intercourse. Oh. And... And you're the first person who's ever said it could take women up to 20 minutes or longer. Yeah. And, and she said, I thought there was something wrong with me. And, yeah, that makes me so and then fucking he mad, said, Dr. Paul. And, and then he said, and I didn't realize, I thought, he said, I thought I had premature ejaculation because I can only last about eight or nine minutes during intercourse. Which is like a long, normal time for some people. Yes. Well, and I said, well, you know, really for that. the eight or nine minutes, are you like going one stroke a minute? Or he said, no, I'm going at it fast and furious, but I can only last that long. And he it's said, I time. thought that meant I had premature ejaculation. Oh, that let's talk about that. Cause I just saw a great, um, uh, like, I, I think it was a chapter from your book about premature ejaculation. And that's something that I struggle with, not just like with past partners or um, people that we've had on the podcast or clients I've had, like what is premature ejaculation? Okay. Um, you know, in terms of chapters in the book, I have put more effort into the chapters on premature ejaculation and delayed ejaculation than many of the other chapters. And, and I spend a huge amount of time on all the chapters. What feels but, so important um, about that topic for you? Because of what you just said. Well, it's, it's, there's so much misperception about it. Yes. And what's really scaring me about it is a lot of, um, once 
the drug companies start to come up with a drug to help with it, they're going to try to portray every man who doesn't last for 20 minutes as needing their drug. Yeah, I could see that happening. And this really scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, the, the, the medical definition of premature ejaculation is if you last, if you can only go for, for less than a minute. Um, but prema- and- sorry, I just have a question. Like, premature to what? Yeah. I mean, like, that's uh, what the- I don't understand. Exactly. The way what we is- were taught in college is them is saying it's only if it causes you distress or you're coming before you want to. What do you think of that but, like, definition? Me or Dr. Uh, Paul? Both. Like, I don't, like, I feel like that, I think that's a, that's a, that's a tautology in a sense because people are only distressed about premature ejaculation because we have a concept of premature ejaculation. And if it weren't problematic socially to not last, you know, more than 30 seconds, then coming in 30 seconds wouldn't cause distress. Yeah, like I feel like it's a positive thing when we talk about female-bodied people coming quickly because then the people pleasuring them are like, oh, I did such a great job or whatever. But if a guy is like pleasured quickly, then it's premature and bad. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an issue. But on the other hand, for a guy who can only last for a minute, it is an issue. Mm-hmm. It, he, he's, he, can you, you tell know, me more about that? That's not a whole lot of intimacy. Okay, in terms of, like, intimacy. Yeah, that's, that's not a whole lot. I mean, one of the most incredible feelings in the world for a guy is, is, is being able to have intercourse. And um, to only... And this also applies to, like, other sexual activities, right? So premature ejaculation, if you're receiving oral sex or manual sex or something like that, would also count, right? Yeah. So it's about how long you can really, in uh, how long you can have stimulation of your penis before you ejaculate. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, okay, if if a guy can last, and and here's what's really cruel, um, with the different... You know, if you try the stop-start technique, squeeze technique, uh, things like that, those who can last longer end up lasting even longer. But those who are at 30 seconds to 60 seconds, they're not going to get a huge amount of gain usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy who can last for two minutes can, can more easily train himself to last for three, four, or five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a cruel thing there. What, but, so what are these techniques? Well, they're different things. You know, the, the old standard, what they used to teach, was called the squeeze technique. And what that is is a um, partner will, will stimulate a guy by hand, just jerk him off till he's just about to come, and then he, he lets her know. He needs to let her know ahead of time. And then she, either, she stops and... Or, or starts to squeeze him so that he doesn't ejaculate. And then she waits a minute, and then she starts again. So it's sort of a behavioral thing mm-hmm. of training yourself to, to try to, to slow down. Now, Masters and Johnson and others used to say, wow, this is a cure for premature ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem with some of the Masters and Johnson stuff. They never did any science with it. So, no, it's not a cure for premature ejaculation. It can be helpful for some men. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, for others, no. Okay. It's, it's one of the things to, to possibly try. Um, there, it's possible that there is genetic loading for premature ejaculation. Like that you would have uh, a predisposition to have that? Yes. To blow it's, your it's load. It's possible. 
it's it's not unfortunately we don't have the kind of research yet that can really tell us that but it certainly seems um i've, I've fortunately been in, in contact with one of the top researchers in the in the world on the subject and he's in uh, finland he was in australia for a while but he seems to feel that there is is some genetic loading but there's no premature ejaculation gene although hopefully we're over the idea that there are genes uh specific genes for things. Um, you know, usually it's a whole cluster of right. genes and they sort of influence behavior and sort of not. And then there's the, the uh, uh, interplay between the environment and that genetic predisposition. So uh, there's, there's a lot of complexity. But, uh, God, I was just in uh, Walmart today looking for something and I, 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 uh, it was next to the condom area and uh, KY is putting out a prolonged kind of uh, like a numbing uh, gel, longer spray. Oh yeah, there's a bunch uh, of companies lo- that have that that the numbing like lidocaine sprays. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about the interesting thing about and there are so a couple of con- different condoms uh, that have it on the inside. A on the inside, of, okay. An interesting thing about those is the question isn't the lidocaine whether it works or not because it. It has to get through the sheathing of the penis. So it's the delivery system of the lidocaine that's really the critical factor. Mm-hmm. Just slapping your penis with lidocaine isn't necessarily going to help. Got to inject it. Or, God, heaven, uh, you really don't want to inject the lidocaine. <laughs> But, I think um, I'm hoping she's it, kidding. So, and some people would argue against yeah. even using it at all that you should be addressing whatever the anxieties or underlying things are to do it. What do you think? Um, again, I, I, they've never found that there are particular anxieties. They've never found that there are psychological issues that cause premature ejaculation. So then, uh, there, certainly, it can be anxiety and depression in someone who has premature ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Because it's frustrating, and they feel like they're a failure, mm. and so yeah, it's it's it, the, the premature ejaculation is going to lead to the anxiety and frustration. Um, but it's it's not the other. It's not people who are depressed or anxious about sex don't necessarily have premature ejaculation. So on, on one hand, you said thing. it's on one hand you said it's like correcting the cultural norm that you have to last like more than eight minutes or whatever it is to feel like you're not a premature ejaculator. But then if you are someone who can only last for under a minute, then what, what do you do? How do you normalize this? Well, again, you try different things. You experiment. You see what works for you. You mm-hmm. see what works for your partner. You learn to get really good at or giving oral sex. Um, there, you know, there are different things. You learn that pleasure is more than just uh, what you can do with your penis, right. but you can also try, you know, you can try the squeeze technique with your partner. Uh, you can try different things. There are different, uh, delivery systems for numbing agents. Try those. So numbing see what, does see help. If uh, I'm sorry, what? Numbing typically does help. For some guys it can. For, uh, oh, sorry. It's the that beagle. Hi, beagle. <laughs> uh, but, but the things, you know, uh, I've got, on my website, I've got the chapter for free on premature ejaculation and delayed ejaculation. And I would encourage people to read it because it's complex. It's a complex subject. They're also, they also, you know, found that certain antidepressants cause guys to come slower and women to orgasm more slowly right. or have yeah. more trouble orgasming. Uh, 
Um, and so they started giving some of those antidepressants to guys to treat their premature ejaculation. Oh, interesting. Uh, for some men, it, it helps. For some men, it doesn't. But, um, you know, that's a warning that they should give anyone who's taking antidepressants, that the SSRIs can cause men to not be able to have an orgasm, yeah. not be able to ejaculate. So now yeah. I, I all people down. of all genders, too. Yes, and women, too. For women, God, what would be the, the, the they call it the anti-libidinal cocktail, is to be on hormonal birth control and antidepressants. Yeah. That can kill any woman's sex drive. Yeah, um, which is a pretty common combination. I'm interested in delayed ejaculation, um, now that we've talked about premature. So how is delayed ejaculation defined? Okay, delayed ejaculation... Um, but sometimes I feel like we feel like everyone is delaying. Yeah, we've talked about in our past podcasts that for a lot of female-bodied people, even when guys think they're premature, like a lot of us don't like to have penetration for that long. Right, and here's here's the here's the um, one of the there's a couple of things. It's one of the fascinating things about delayed ejaculation is um, some guys who have it they can't come inside a woman. But they can come when they're jerking off. Yeah. So that's a fascinating thing about it. Not I think it's a common, I feel like that's not necessarily common, but I've definitely experienced that with partners. And I think in part has to do with like knowing your body is like what you're most used to and knowing what is your most reliable route to, or, route to orgasm and not necessarily being able to recreate that with a partner. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there, there's certainly speculation that how a man masturbates it has an impact on delayed ejaculation. Do like, you think that's true? Masturbate bizarrely. And they say, well, you can't possibly recreate that with a vagina, so you've caused the problem. Well, no. W- what about the problem is, uh, I think it's just as likely that the guy has trouble ejaculating anyway and learned how to do some pretty extreme masturbation techniques so he can at least come every once in a while. Like what? What's an extreme masturbation technique? Um, yeah, just really grabbing it hard and, and really fast and just pounding the crap out of it. Um, there's also, there's some, some people say, oh, if a guy learns to masturbate face down, that can lead to delayed ejaculation, but we don't have any research on this stuff. And it could be he learned to masturbate face down because that's the only way he could come, yeah. uh, by, by masturbating. The, the thing that, one of the things that's fascinating, we, we constantly reassure women it's perfectly normal if you can't orgasm during intercourse. But who's reassuring but if a the guy men? Can't, but if a guy can't orgasm during intercourse or ejaculate during intercourse, we give him a, a medical diagnosis. and We say there's something mm. very wrong with you. Yeah. What do you think partners um, of people with premature ejaculation and or delayed ejaculation, what can they do to help support this? Because I've had clients come in who are maybe struggling and they have their own needs and are feeling either irritated or hurt or wondering like how they can best support their partner in this. Do you have any suggestions? Okay. I try not to lump premature ejaculation and delayed ejaculation together because they're two very different things. They're not opposite. They're entirely different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. With delayed ejaculation, a frequent thing will be the, the woman will think, it's because I'm not attractive. It's because I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's because he doesn't, you know, he, he, he's not into me. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
the first thing to do is to just try to reassure her that nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, there's no way he's getting that rock-hard, lead-pipe, diamond-cutter boner if he's not into you. Okay. Um, now, a, a woman who is a sex therapist who, who used my book in her classes up in Northern California told me something very fascinating. I ended up quoting from her for two pages in the chapter on, on delayed ejaculation. She said, you know, my husband of 25 years had delayed ejaculation. And she said, I can't tell you how many hours and thousands of dollars we wasted in therapy and everything trying to cure this premature ejaculation. She said, finally, finally, we wised up and said, what does it matter? We enjoy having sex. He loves having sex with me. I love having sex with him. And she said, I just wish that we had not wasted so much time and energy trying to fix that. Yeah, I think that's um, a really, really good point. It's that if you're upset about your premature ejaculation because you feel like you're coming too soon for your partner, maybe just check in with your partner and say, hey, would you like me to be able to last longer? And, you know, there's a chance they're like, I mean, I'd probably be like, no, I'm good. <laughs> what if somebody says, yes, though, I do want you to last longer. <laughs> well, then longer. that's something that you can work on together. Or maybe you, you know, you, you think maybe about other kinds of, if they really just want like something, you know, inside them feeling like they're penetrated, like maybe you like switch out your dick for fingers or yeah. like there's ways around that. But if it's not even a, I think you should figure out if it's a problem that your partner experiences or if it's more, you feel like it's a problem because of, you know, society. That's, that's a, that's a really, really good point. And too often there isn't that communication. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times the guy won't, will just say, oh, yeah, you say it's okay, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it takes a lot. What, what's, what's really sad is these kinds of things take the fun and the humor out of sex. Definitely. Um, they, they make men dread sex. And, and then the, the woman, the, the female partner, if it's a female partner, she'll try to mute her excitement to keep him from coming. And so um... you get this... This like Everything negative feedback gets loop. Yeah. Yeah. So she'll try to, you know, not really thrust her hips and uh, because she doesn't want to, you know, she's trying to help him last longer. And so then she's not into it or doing what, what she would like to do for her pleasure or his pleasure, whoever the partner is. Right. Right. And in terms of delayed ejaculation, uh, she needs to be able to communicate to him and say, that's enough. We're good. You know, How long are we talking said, for delayed ejaculation? Yeah, like what would constitute no, I'm sorry, delay? What? what would constitute a delayed ejaculation? Like how long? Ooh, um, okay. That's a really good question. Um, probably, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes if, the, if it's too much for the woman. Mm -hmm. um, the partner, yeah. So... Or, or the partner. So, like, there's an element of of how long does my partner want me to last, and when we've reached that limit, can I then come? Versus yes, yeah, that that's a that's a good point. So, date delayed and, ejaculation is really just anything that's too long. <laughs> anything that's too long. <laughs> well, but it you know. For one partner, thirty minutes might be perfect. For another partner, it might be right. twenty-eight minutes too long. Right. So we can't just define it based on 
what a partner does and doesn't want. But that's a factor in it. I mean, right. some, something we try to, to educate our guests and, and people we talk to about is, you know, obviously a lot of us when we have sex or any kind of intimacy, it is often goal-oriented. And so to try to change that dynamic of that, like, you can still have fun, enjoyable, intimate time even if you don't come or you don't orgasm. Um, or you come and then there's still more stuff after that. Yeah. And how do we... How do we have that conversation with folks who, let's say that one partner is like, okay, that's enough, I'm ready to stop, and the other one is feeling really um, frustrated and upset that they haven't been able to get there? What, what could we advise them? Well, one of the first things I, I, I do, and this is probably you know, wrong, but <laughs> say, well, let, let's, let's stop talking about, like you say, the goals or this or that or the other. Let's talk about what, the things you can do to give each other pleasure. What you know, and, and it may not have anything to do with your clitoris or vagina. Maybe a woman gets intense pleasure when a man rubs her feet or her hands or brushes her hair. Oh Reach. yeah, yes. <laughs> so let's start with those things, and let's take the genitals out of the equation for a while. You know, let's focus on giving each other the things you can do to just give each other the most, you know, just enjoyable pleasure. Yeah. Take the pressure then off. And you kind of then throw, throw genitals and clitorises in there because, quite frankly, and then there's another issue. Is the woman feel, does the woman feel comfortable masturbating or not? Um, like on her own or in front of a partner? Well, both. Mm. E- either or. Because, you know... Maybe uh, they reach a point of where, okay, they've given each other lots of pleasure. He's not going to be able to get her off uh, on his own. And then, you know, wouldn't it be nice if he could just hold her in in his arms and she could masturbate? Yeah, that is so nice. That is so, so nice sometimes. (laughs) I love the way you said that. But it's true. I know. I agree. But there is this, I think, some some women feel and express being frustrated and... But not Some, only women, yeah. but it's also so, so nice when a man that you're with, or, or a woman, but I feel this especially with men, is like, they're allowed to say, oh, it's okay if I'm not, if my hand isn't making you come, because maybe it's the one hour massage that I gave you before this, and then I licked your clit for, you know, 10 minutes, and then we kiss, and I told you you were beautiful, and then you masturbate. Like, all of that is what's making you come. But the same needs to be okay for male-bodied and all-gendered folk, too, to be like, hey, it's not about you that I'm not coming in this way just from penetration. Like, I need to do this to come. Like, some women only like to come while using yeah. a magic wand. Yeah, exactly. But we have all these expectations, and we have this idea that, you know, you're supposed to be able to come during intercourse and both together. Ah, penetration and, myth. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Also, you know, again, there's so many. Fortunately, on my, uh, I, I've now read about 10,000 sex surveys. Um, over the years, people have submitted them, and, and my sex survey usually has 30 to 35 questions, and they're all open-ended. I, I see no value whatsoever in any sex survey where you answer, um, you know, anything that can be computer scored. To me, that's, hmm. that's not a helpful sex survey. Hmm. So I see people's real answers. And uh, I remember one woman said, you know, 
I love, uh, I really love to masturbate after my husband and I have sex. She said, it's not because he's a bad lover. He's an incredible lover. But um, when I masturbate afterwards, it helps me, helps bring me down. It helps me come down gently. Mm, yeah. I thought that, that's, that's so wonderful because most people would automatically say, oh, it's because he's a shitty lover. No, you're no. so turned on. You need to masturbate. Or he's a, a good enough lover that he's willing to not be offended by her wanting to do that. Exactly. All sorts of things like that. But, um, you know, it's hard because we have these, these expectations. You would never get that from watching porn, would you? Not the context. Depends on the porn. Yeah, like Pornhub, okay? <laughs> Let's look at the porn that 95% of people watch as opposed to the kind of porn that really educated people about sex, mm-hmm. sex watch. And luckily there are some porn performers out there who are making educational things. Like, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch or what you think of, like, someone like Jessica Drake who does, like, Guide to Wicked Sex. Have you watched anything like that? I mean, obviously that's maybe not the mainstream porn that we see, like, teenagers going to because they're not buying a DVD that can be, like, shipped to them. Um, But they're looking at maybe the clips that don't have the context. Well, I think... uh Nina Hartley uh, was certainly by far one of the most educated, thoughtful We love porn Nina. Um, but, you know, most kids now would think of it, that's like watching my grandmother have sex. Um, but even though, even still, what, what Nina would do on, on set was very different from her books, what she would tell people yeah. about. Uh, and... Um, and for Jessica, that's so, the same. She talked to us, because we had her on the show, too, to talk about her guides to wicked sex. And she does make, like, a very conscious distinction between the sex she has in porn and, like, the sex that she tries to teach uh, with her wicked guide. Like, showing people using lube or, like, daring to show a non-erect penis. Like, because there's this assumption yeah. that, like, you're supposed to take off your pants and your dick's ready and raring to go. and Like, like you said, diamond cutting hard. Diamond cutting hard. And it's like, that's well, that's not necessarily true. And, yeah, I think there is a lot of interesting work that's being done uh, to rectify this issue, for sure. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. We have to wrap up soon, but I want people to make sure they have access to how they can find your work and how they can follow up on some of this because I think it's so important. Um, where can people find the videos and books and, and all the things? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been a lot of fun. We, we, do, we don't get to have these conversations very often. Oh, we um, do, but we're glad to have you as well. Yes, you do. Thank you. I don't. You're welcome, <laughs> so You're welcome to come you. back and join uh, us. Absolutely. It's, it's guide to the number two, getting.com. So it's just G-U-I-D-E, the number two, and then getting.com. That's my website. Amazing. Do you have Instagram or or Twitter or anything that you want people to know about? I I, I don't. um, That's okay. I've I've spent the last uh, two years trying to learn how to do video animations in in After Effects. And so that's where my, my main focus has been. And then in the next month or so, we'll do Pinterest. And I, I even have uh, three slow cookers going because I'm going to have re- recipes that are um, as good as sex. 
I think food and sex are so similar. Yeah, it's a good combination. Um, Anyway, okay then. (laughs) So make sure to check out Guide to Getting on Pinterest when that becomes available. Dr. Paul, we're so grateful for having you on our podcast. And as always, listeners, if you want to hear or see more from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And of course, you can email us at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thank you.